Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 10 of Connecting with Can, a podcast dedicated to sharing Kuwaitic Networks experiences on work with migrant workers. I'm your host, Sahaj Racy, and on today's podcast, we have Jeff, Miriam, and Abby, and we'll be talking about challenges facing migrant workers in Kuwait, documentation, and legal rights. Hi, everyone. It's nice to have you back. Great to be here. Yes, well, I'm so happy to be here. Hey. Okay. So let's start with the first question that I have. What are some of the challenges that migrant workers face in terms of their legal rights in the country? Because I know that they have to have some form of documentation on them. But what happens if they don't have that documentation or if they lose it? Uh, that's a really good question, Saj. Um, I think the main issue that like needs to be like emphasized at the start is most migrant workers do not know what their legal rights are when they enter the country. So the first like barrier or like obstacle to them understanding their legal rights and the documentation they need is not knowing actually what their legal rights are or what documents they have. Often migrant workers from the Indian subcontinent or the Arab world or other other parts of the world like uh, in like less developed countries often come here through uh, recruitment agencies. The recruitment agencies take their passports and process all their documents for them. Um, and much of this process is very opaque and obscure. And most of the migrant workers actually have no idea about what they need when they enter the country. Of course, when you enter the country, you have the right to your passport. You have a civil identification number that's on a card that every single person, resident or citizen, uh, has in Kuwait. You also have the right to a health insurance card, which is which is now electronic, uh, that gives you the right to uh, government-made insurance. And most migrant workers who don't actually, or who actually enter the country, actually don't know that they need these things. They don't know about having a civil ID. They don't know about the number. They will either enter a home or a job without having access to these things. Often they are promised documentation of various sorts over the time that they work in Kuwait, but usually because of delays in providing residencies or permits, companies will not actually give the migrant workers their passports back or uh, provide them with the civil IDs and documentation they need. Part of this can be uh, like a tactic to withhold their documentation for control. Other times, it can just be a matter of incompetence or bureaucratic slowness or, you know, an issue with uh, getting their documents processed. It's not always malicious. Uh, so that's the first thing. Um, having documentation quite is extremely important. Uh, the, main, uh, the main piece of identification you need is, of course, your passport. Having a passport and identity, of course, is the most important thing. So having a copy of your passport, even a digital copy, but most importantly, the physical copy is a requirement that you need to actually take very seriously. The other document that you need that's equally as important or, or almost as, as important as having your passport, the physical copy or a digital one, is your civil ID number that is linked to your passport. This civil ID number, regardless of whether you have your civil ID on you or not, is the most important thing you need to access healthcare, access the justice system, asset access like legal support, transfer your residency, renew your residency. This is actually the most important number you have. Many, many, many migrant workers do not have access to their civil ID number. And actually, when they get in trouble, uh, when they're asked for this number, they actually don't even know they're supposed to have it. Um, and it's not as much a matter of losing their documentation. It's more about them not being able to, to get it in the beginning. When, beginning. The second thing is actually when people do lose their documentation, actually, it's quite easy to regain the status because you already have your civil ID number. That's actually the main thing. Getting a physical copy of your civil ID may be difficult, but having the number or a paper or digital copy of that civil ID, even just a picture on your phone, is enough to almost do any uh, process you need. For the police to look you up or a hospital look you up, um, that's that's the main thing. 
I think in terms of the sponsor, I mean, this is where the primary issue would be in general is it's the sponsor's obligation to inform the migrant worker coming to Kuwait about their rights. Um, and this is probably the main obstacle facing migrant workers because it's highly personalized based on the individual. Depending on the character and quality of the sponsor, this actually usually is the key indicator to whether the migrant worker is treated well. This can be a company, it can be an entity, it can be an individual. Um, and this is very, very problematic because leaving the uh, legal obligations in the hand of an individual based on their personal mood or character doesn't work in a unified labor law. Um, unfortunately, this is the way it is. There are not a lot of resources, government resources outside of Arabic that explain what labor requirements are until relatively recently, there's been an uptick in different languages. It's still very limited and information is somewhat broad in general, um, but primarily the issue relates to the sponsor. And this relates to other discussion we've had about problems with the kafala sponsorship system as it necessitates being tied to a single individual who controls your labor rights. And this is one of the major issues. So. A lot of migrant workers are too afraid talking to the sponsor, don't know who their sponsor is. If it's a large company, cannot actually access them directly um, or isn't able to access them if they're outside the country. Let's say they're traveling or they actually don't live in Kuwait. They might not live in Kuwait all year round. Um, so this actually keeps the migrant workers hostage to their job, regardless of their legal status. I think another thing to mention as well, what you just said, language barrier. It can also be an issue for people when they're dealing with like their sponsor directly, because if they don't know English or Arabic, um, some of them will pick up Arabic like after staying here for a certain amount of time. But like the language barrier, even with uh, the sponsor themselves, um, uh, would be an issue for them if they wanted to, um, to, to essentially get some of their rights. Also, something else is the, um, the, the attitude that uh, a sponsor would have um, towards the uh, the per person they're sponsoring is that they should be grateful that I'm sponsoring them, that I'm providing them with this job. And sometimes, you know, pay will be with withheld. Sometimes um, uh, even like requests for increase in pay after a certain amount of time uh, would be rejected. Um, this all goes back to the, the sponsorship system. But there is a general kind of um, like all the power is with the sponsor themselves. And so even accessing their basic like legal rights or accessing their documentation, um, like it's kind of quite known that uh, the passport stays with the sponsor, for example. It's kind of, it's not like- It's illegal. It's illegal, but like most people do it. And because the, the, the migrant worker would be too- um, uh, Independent. Yeah, they'd be too independent. They could, you know, quote unquote, run away at any minute and leave me high and dry. Um, or that, you know, um, which is their, which is their right actually. And this is actually the, the issue is that it's their right to ask for a request to transfer jobs and by keeping the passport, they can't. And so this is a common, common issue. Yeah. And, um, and so they're, they are basically, um, uh, crippled if they don't have access to their documentation, um, or if they don't have the ability to even communicate properly with the sponsor to get that documentation back or to ask for um, one of their rights. Yeah, and I know when, uh, when you know, documentation is withheld oftentimes because, well, it's illegal, obviously, but oftentimes if a migrant worker wants to sort of like escape that, they have to do so illegally. And oftentimes 
are you know put into traffic work or whatnot just to get like pay because they don't have any means of obtaining their legal documentation and oftentimes they have to go into hiding is uh something that i've heard could you guys speak more to that absolutely i mean uh, there's different forms of hiding i mean most often more often than not migrant workers who are illegal hide in plain sight you'll see them at famous coffee shop brands uh you'll see them driving uh you know uh food delivery uh, motorcycles or uh, street cleaners or, you know, working in shops. I mean, the, the there's a very large population that does not have valid residences in Kuwait. How much that is, is, is open to, to, to um, questions, uh, but it's probably at least tens of thousands, if not more, um, of people who are living in Kuwait long term without valid residencies. There's an entire economy built on illegal illegal residents because, and we're not talking about stateless people who are of Arab descent who are waiting to get citizenship. We're talking about illegal migrant workers from other countries. Um, there's a there's a difference there. But for migrant workers who with with uh, or overstay the residency, there's an entire economy that relies on them. You can pay them less. You don't have to pay them because they have no legal rights. You can fire them summarily. You can make them go into uh, dangerous jobs or under dangerous conditions without safety equipment, without any fear of backlash, uh, especially in construction um, or in dangerous delivery jobs. Like if you're a delivery driver in the summer, um, you know, this is a very dangerous job during the day. Often the delivery companies hire illegal residents because they do not have rights. They cannot, with, uh, because they're illegal, they have no access to the justice system. Their only right is to turn themselves in to be deported. That is their right. That is the, the only thing they can do. Um, and often they live double lives. Um, during the night, they don't go out because the night is primarily when police are looking for people for deportation. During the day, it's less so, unless the police have a specific campaign. Um, they stay inside all the time. Uh, they uh, you know, have friends with valid residencies who do favors for them or get food for them. And this is many, many people, and it's a, a very difficult life. Um, and choosing to do this is, is to support their family back home. No one comes to Kuwait planning to be illegal. They want to have residency. They want to have jobs. They want to make a good living. Um, and when they lose their residency, usually within the first year or two of them first arriving in this situation, they're forced in this situation because they probably spent their family's whole savings to get here in the first place. It's not an option to leave. It's not an option to get money uh, or to go home and start something new. That doesn't really work. Um, and like you kind of mentioned, I mean, often people do get trafficked or into illegal jobs uh, or things that are criminal. Um, this, this happens quite often. Um, and often this means people are doing things, although I would say that in general in Kuwait, uh, Kuwait is not a place with a lot of organized crime or gangs. So there's not much of an issue in terms of it leading to the kind of crime that you would see in a place like New York City or Detroit or uh, you know, Toronto or other places with like organized crime. It doesn't have that, that. That's one of the good things about Kuwait is that actually there's not a very sophisticated organized crime network here. Um, so you don't see things like that. But I mean, the larger issue, of course, is what is inaccessible without that documentation. Um, you know, they're not allowed to access any social service without a valid civil ID number. Um, they cannot access the justice system. Um, they can access any private clinic or pharmacy because it's pay in cash. You can pay in cash. You can use your passport. You can use an old civil ID number. There is no issue at a private clinic doing that. So they have access, but you need money. And private clinics are expensive for healthcare. So in terms of accessing private sector, if you have money, you can actually live a relatively okay life. 
Uh, unfortunately, private clinics and hospitals do not have the quality of services of government. So any serious injury or illness, let's say cancer or very uh, terminal uh, case of diabetes, uh, you know, these types of things you need to go to a government hospital. If you do not have a civil ID or you are illegal and you arrive at a government hospital, they are required by law to hold you, treat you, and then send you to deportation. Um, and this is actually one of the, I would say, the positive side of the government healthcare system is they will save your life. As a migrant worker, if you do go to the hospital with a life-endangering illness or disease, they will save your life. And so this is something actually we've emphasized and encouraged many migrant workers who are in serious medical distress to do, to save their lives. Um, there's lots of rumors amongst migrant workers who are illegal that if you go to a government hospital, they're not going to treat you and they're just going to send you back to your home country, which is not true. Um, but if you go to the hospital, they will hold you most of the time, unless there's an extenuating circumstance. Um, in terms of accessing police, um, if, you act, if you're a migrant worker and you're harmed and the police are involved, you will be taken and deported. That doesn't mean that any crimes committed against you will not be looked into. They will, like criminal charges. But in terms of you as a migrant worker who is illegal, you do not have the right to ask for a salary you're not paid or if someone steals from you or any of that. Once you're illegal, you no longer can access the justice system after three months of you being illegal. And within that three months, you have to be filing a labor claim to explain why you don't have a valid residency, which is a difficult and complicated process for someone who doesn't know how to speak Arabic and quite expensive. Well, thank you all for listening to this episode of Connecting with Can. We hope you're having a wonderful day and we'll see you next week. Stay connected.